0: What it's like. <laughs> Thanks all for listening. One, two, three, jingle. Hello and welcome
1: to the Ark Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in the Structured Finance team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson, I'm CEO of Arkenco. Co. The team here at Ark Co thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, we'd like to understand where the industry is going an education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. Hello, everybody. I'm here from Ark Co. My name is Matthew. I'm joined today by Jonathan Samuels from Octane Capital. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you for joining us. Jonathan has kindly agreed to join us to talk us through uh, the journey, the development, uh, and how Octane all started. So, uh, over the last 15 to 10 years, uh, Jonathan, you've been one of the most successful and consistent people in the financial services industry. Talk us through the journey. How did it all start? And what's the secret behind this? Well, it's very kind of you to say that so uh, Gosh, you know going way back
0: uh, It's hard to know exactly where where your journey started, but I'll start I guess where my what I would call my entrepreneurial journey started with my first business, which was back in 2005 in South Africa so I'd, I'd uh, gone out to uh, live in Cape Town and uh, set up uh, a Mortgage brokerage actually was a call center um, doing refinances in the local market in uh, 2005 through to 2008 great time to be there Cape Town's a lovely place. Uh, South Africa generally is great. You know, we really enjoyed it My wife and I being out there and then I built that business up and and sold it to a local uh, private equity firm in 2008 so right before Sort of financial crisis, you know a few months before and You know you had that feeling once I'd sold it that gosh, you know, I sold it cheap, you know you, you know, and then a few months later everything started to unravel in the global economy, and then I thought <laughs> actually I've indicated then <laughs> yes got out uh, perhaps just in time and then we moved back to the UK after that uh, and then I was looking around at, right, well, you know, what did I want to do? i just moved back, and um, I had a look at the bridging finance industry because I, I did a bit of bridging in South Africa, actually, as a side business to the brokerage. And um, so I had a look at the, the local UK bridging market, and obviously, you know, people were feeling pain. Uh, people had uh, legacy loan books, and I thought, well, if I go into this business, All my competitors are struggling and they're struggling because of their legacy loan book and I wouldn't be weighed down by that I'd be free without without a legacy loan book, but obviously there was a major challenge which was you know I had to raise the money and by this time it moved into 2009 when I was then going around The city cap in hand trying to raise money for a bridging business, um, which I can tell you now You know trying to raise money on a property business in 2009 was you know that was hard work. It was uh, meeting to meeting uh, You know probably 40 odd uh, Getting left out of the room by probably half of them and the other half sort of just come on guys everyone Let's hear this kid uh uh, talk nonsense, you know, basically crazy. Uh, but eventually, I got there and uh, raised uh, 25 million.
1: Probably one of the most difficult times to raise any finance at that point. Most of the doors were closing. What was what's what was the secret? And uh, how did you spot the opportunity? I mean, that's quite a commercial decision to go into a market where. Where Most people are leaving although others would say that's where the opportunity is well. I
0: think that's it. You know being a bit contrarian um, I'd had success with it in South Africa. I felt that you know, I enjoyed Lending I'd had a bit of lending experience beforehand. So it was natural to look at it um, and Just those dynamics as I researched the market so my uh, Profession if you like was in management consultancy, so I'd been a, a consultant before so the idea of taking an industry and doing a full review of it was quite um, uh, Something I was comfortable with do sort of second nature So I looked at that did that review and just looked at who the players were in, at the time and actually I went around and met with most of them and They were sort of had time on their hands a little bit because they weren't often doing the lending uh, they were to some degree, licking the wounds really with and dealing with the f- issues, fighting fires, but did have time to uh, meet with me and generally tell me just how crazy I was to come into this market. But you see, I was interpreting those conversations in a very different way. The more they said, Look, this thing's over. I mean, I had conversations with people, big lenders, and, and some of them uh, uh, died, yeah, by the way, so as in the businesses, and some t- continued to lend and came out uh, the other side. But the general theme was the party's over, you know, this, you don't waste your time, but you see, I'd interpreted it in a different way, like, that's your view, and that's who my competitors are, and therefore, there's got to be an opportunity. If property prices had fallen and come off so aggressively, you know, they're going to bottom out at some point, so therefore, surely, it's a good time to learn. I know it's easy, in retrospect, to look at it like this, but at that time, people just thought the world was over, as, as they knew it, and, um, but that was, you know, maybe it was youthful exuberance. You know, there it just sort of got me through. I had it in my head. This is, was a good market. This was the market I was going to go into. And come hell or high water, I was going to raise that money. And eventually, you know, if I met enough people, after every meeting, I'd write down all of the criticisms. And I would, um, and all of the questions. And I ended up um, making a chart, uh, sort of a page, answering every difficult question. So by the, by the end of it, you'd ask, I'd get a question. I'd say, well, if you turn to page 42 of the presentation, that that page will deal with that. Oh, if you turn to page 38 or whatever. Yeah. So I guess by the end of it, people like, okay, well, you really thought through this. You know, you've done your research. And then that's what gave the comfort to the, eventually the people who gave me the first 25 million to lend because, okay, you seem to know what you're talking about. And they bought the story that, Property market was going to bottom out, and they did have the right sort of cash uh, to lend into this market. And then we, you know, I built it from there.
1: That's fascinating. Incredible tenacity as well. Uh, What was the lowest point during during those meetings? Because. Was there a was there a point where you thought you know what I think they're right maybe the party is actually the end opened. was
0: normally the end of the meeting was normally the lowest point <laughs> you know it was uh, when I realised in those meetings that I was getting nowhere but one thing that I did learn and I think it's really key by the way for anybody who's going out r- trying to raise money is I at that stage in my career thought that um, funds. Would be generally flexible like this was a good idea and uh, it presented a good investment opportunity Why would you not be interested? What I didn't understand is the nature of each individual fund and what their funding what their Requirements are so some you know will have a short time horizon some are only interested obviously in equity some are interested in debt And really if I'd have understood That I could have cut out three-quarters of those people before I even met them because I would have known it doesn't matter What I'm gonna say this business just simply will not fit their criteria, so you you, you know you learn from that, and and uh, you know eventually the penny dropped, I, I guess, and and we got the money and launched what was to become Dragonfly, which then grew into having lent you know from two thousand well, that was in two thousand and ten uh, to two thousand and fifteen, having lent uh, two billion pounds in that time frame, uh, and. Mark Pozniak and Matt Smith were my first employees, uh, and they've been with me for the last ten years. So you know, and together we've built uh, Dragonfly and, and now Octane, and uh, it's been
1: it's been a great ride and how did you assemble the team for dragonfly did you did you know who you were going to call and was it guys let's get together let's target the market look at the legacy loan books yeah. uh, i see an opportunity here let's uh, let's really go go somewhere because there's not a lot of not a lot of money in the market um you guys have got a full wallet um was there any restrictions that you saw at that point because given values are on the floor and you know people were generally uh unimpressed with what was going on in the economy um well it, you know it
0: was actually a great time to recruit because uh because so many lenders were finding it tough and actually were laying people off certainly the people who uh were at the front end of the business they were trying to maybe keep some of the people at the back end to look after the loan books but the front end um, so that would be in sales and underwriting Uh, so I in some ways had the pick of some of the best people in the industry at that time and that stayed like that for the first couple of years that's how it you know really felt and I was very fortunate to come across the caliber of people like Mark Posniak and Matt Smith and others and several people who have joined me since at Octane as well and others who were at Dragonfly and have gone on and done other things. You know, great. It was it was really a great team. We we loved working together and um, thankfully were successful in, in doing so.
1: It certainly was a great lender. I uh, I had uh, many dealings with yeah, Dragonfly yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Um, as our listeners know, Mark Posniak and Matt Smith are also very successful. Mm. Uh, would you say that was the first generation of? Uh, <laughs> as we now know, know as, the we, third as we gen? yeah,
0: as we think of third gen, that wasn't the th- the first. That was the second gen. So let me explain. That was that. the second yeah, gen. Yeah, exactly. You know the story. So first gen was really the pre-crash, uh, we're bridging a little bit. Very entrepreneurial, but lacking perhaps the professionalism, you know, so get a deal done, but you know, very high fees, very high interest rates, a bit rough around the edges. And then second generation was really, uh, where, where Dragonfly was part of it, professionalizing, um, bringing those rates down, um, to some degree productizing the industry. Uh, and a lot of people followed that model, uh, and it was a great model, but eventually it um, we felt at least became a little bit sterile, a bit too uh, focused on the product sheet, which became quite constrained. And then a lot of volume vanilla transactions were taking place. And a lot of brokers uh, would say to us, and this is once I'd left the industry, you know, so I had sold Dragonfly and left in 2015. And was then, when, when thinking about coming back into the industry, the message I was receiving was, there's a lot of deals being done, but they're all quite vanilla deals and fitting in the confines of these it either fits the product or it doesn't fit the product and that just wasn't how bridging Really was And so the third generation was mixing the best bits of the first generation that entrepreneurialism uh, and that desire to get deals done, but keeping that professionalism of the second gen so that's really what the the Third gen is all about and so that's why octane we launched with no products totally um, freeing ourselves from those constraints so you don't have to tick the boxes We'll look at the deal on its own merits, and we'll create structure bespoke for that deal. And that's how. And that really resonated. It's not right for every deal, but it really resonated with a lot of brokers. And um, thankfully, at Octane, you know, from a standing start in May 2017, we've grown to as you know over 600 million pounds of lending. Um, So, you know, we're really pleased. It's probably grown quicker than we had uh, anticipated it would um and we're we're, when i compare where we are now after say two and a half years we're um really the equivalent of where we were about four or five years into the dragonfly journey so um it's been quick
1: um and fun it's very impressive the growth of octane uh, and the presence actually through the industry um i mean it's Quite clear for everybody who knows uh, who knows Octane Capital um, that you guys have got a winning formula together. Um, you know what you're doing. Uh, everybody understands each other. Um, what's the secret of keeping the team together? Because you know, as people get larger in the industry, they they tend to want to go out on their own or have their name above the door. What's uh, what's the secret between you three that that you can carry on doing this and And really taking the industry into a new era, I suspect, because, you know, as you say, Octane's proposition at the moment in comparison to previous generations um, is admirable. uh, And it really is cutting edge, I've got to say.
0: Well, thanks. Um, I think certainly we we see it and the reality is that, um, you know, Mark and Matt do have their name. Above the door, you know they are our shareholders, partners, big shareholders and partners in, in, in the business with me. So uh, where maybe you know that wasn't the case in Dragonfly, but it is now. So that's you know really the, you know this is their baby uh, as well, and also um, uh, that shareholding. There's an opportunity for people within the business as well to um, get uh, shares within the business, and so that's important. You know we want to share the benefits of Octane success with our staff. Um, so that's important, and that helps keep uh, attract the best talent and keep the best talent. You know, and that's important to us. Um, I think also that we have worked together for ten years. We know each other very well. We respect each other. Uh, we have different skills, different personalities. It's a good uh, a balance uh, in, in the team. Um, but that goes right through the business. Um, between there's a really healthy respect between sales and credit. There's attention, of course, on deals because sales should push to try and get deals through and credit are the gatekeepers But it's a healthy discussion. It's not us versus them. And in actual fact, we see sales as the first line of credit BDMs for us need to know how to structure deals and they need to know how to think like a credit manager They don't have to be credit, but they need to think like a credit manager in some ways, so that they can structure a deal Over the table right face to face with a broken and a complicated deal and we want we empower them to do so octane is not a place where uh, They just say yes take the deal in throw it against the wall and see what sticks we are the the Anathema to that quite quite the opposite. So there's a real heavy emphasis on education um, because that doesn't come easy and also in our recruitment process so With both sales and credit, we uh, test people who are coming in um, as to their understanding of credit. and How would you structure this deal? How would you structure that deal? And really try and understand their mental makeup and how they think through a deal. And then think, is this person octane? material if you like, you know, and uh, uh, So we're quite fussy about the people who, who come in quite rightly, so I'm sure you are as well yep. um, We have a high bar in terms of uh, you know, so in credit it's a minimum of eight years uh, credit experience and in sales. There's a uh, You know a thorough test as well as to you know, it's not quite as focused like that, but we, we're looking at different skills, so um, there's some of the elements that you mean we managed to keep the team together um, and pull in new talent from a- around the industry.
1: Some very good points that you've made there: uh, tenacity, inclusiveness. I guess mm. making people feel part of Octane yeah. uh, is, is, is quite an interesting way forward when uh, when running a company. I mean over the next two years two three years. How do you see yourselves growing because you've got an impressive loan book? Um, You've you've redeemed quite a few loans as well. I I hear Mm -hmm. if you'd like to talk us through a bit of that Um, and you know, what's What is the focus going forward?
0: Yeah, so we'll talk you through that. So we've lent now uh, about 600 million uh, just over and um, We've uh, you know, our loan book is north of 250 million um, So it's substantial Um, lender in the market that's been worth
1: yes yeah, a short short space such of time, short space of time yeah.
0: so the um, on our focus has been on short-term bridging and um also uh, buy to let so three-year uh, buy to let um there's a lot that we used to do in dragonfly and don't do yet so development is a clear one um a particular and uh, you know, there's a balance between heavy refurb and development, but that's not what we do uh, currently. We'll do moderate refurb at the moment. So there's a journey there, and also there's a journey towards longer-term uh, buy-to-let and uh, uh, maybe perhaps you know, more Mainstream by intellect We also uh, we don't currently do second charges, and you know that's something that we've got experience in the team with as well because we did that at Dragonfly. Um, yeah, these were conscious choices to not go into those markets just yet, but
1: eventually we will do. Um, going back to sort of your processes. Um, <laughs> I work with a lot of different lenders, and I've got to say that Octane are probably one of the most forward-thinking when it comes to tech. Yeah, uh, and The you. advent of tech yeah. in the industry is evident. Um, you guys have embraced it fully, uh, which I guess allows you to uh, create a much more streamlined process. Mm. What was the thinking behind that? Are you, have you always pushed for the inclusion of tech, or was there, was there a moment where you thought, hang on a moment, I think, uh, I think we can do this better?
0: Well, there was definitely that.
1: I've been at pains to say uh, in in the business that what we're not
0: going to do is have tech for tech's sake, you know, and try to sort of have some sort of tech veneer on this business where it's really not adding value. We're going to bring tech in, and it's got to add value into the process. So, therefore, it's we're not going to try to have tech. uh, dominated process end to end we are going to have a tech enabled process the difference being is that there's got to be human intervention through the process because we're dealing with complicated loans so it's different if you're dealing with mass market vanilla loans uh ticking a lot of boxes yes technology is going to help you get from you know right from application through to completion and you could do that potentially no one's managed to do it Yet, But you could do it potentially without any human interaction. I don't think that's possible in bridging. Certainly not the area of bridging uh, that we're involved in. So we then look and say, well, how do we break our process up to say, what are the areas where we can use tech effectively to streamline it, make it quicker, make it easier for brokers, make it easier for borrowers? They're the places that we need to focus on. And so um, one of the areas that we're uh, just about to launch actually is um, our ID and KYC platform, So you um, will be able to have the ID and KYC uh, verified just over the phone, take a photo of the ID and KYC, and bang, it's done instantaneously, and we don't have to uh, receive it. Uh, you don't have to send that into us, it's approved. Um, we're close to, and this is the goal for us, to try to get the entire application process done in two minutes over the phone as in over the mobile phone. So you'll be able to get all your ID, KYC, applications signed, get your searches done, all of that in uh, two minutes. And so yeah, that's a goal for us. And we see that's where you can use technology. Uh, but if it's a complicated loan, someone's got to look at it, someone's got to think through it. We've You know, if it's particularly complicated and large, we've got to talk through it as well, make make the decision. Uh, We're not trying to be a black box lender where it just goes into the black box and it either just spits an answer out. That's not us. I don't think that would be where our value add would be. So uh, and we're looking at technology right through the process. Quite a lot of it is internal. So you wouldn't necessarily uh, directly feel it, uh, but what it makes us is uh, far more efficient. So we're able to do quite a large volume of loans um, with a relatively small number of people uh, because we do rely on uh, the technology we build on that makes us more efficient. So that's what we're developing. We have a whole project going on right now, you know, a long list of uh, tech uh, focused initiatives that are being done and carried out and implemented. And that's why you know it's really great to hear you say that uh, about us that we're so tech focused and that's that's why
1: but you are and um, yeah. <clears throat> you know uh, hats off i think Thank it's you. brilliant the way you've uh, embraced it um, you quite rightly pointed out the commercial world has grown quite a lot in the mm. last uh, few years as more reliance on, uh, I guess, brokers to give the right advice to, to find the right end user and, uh, and lender. By streamlining the process, uh, how do you protect yourself from over-commitment and uh, overexposure? I guess? Because obviously, Octane is a, a very focused uh, lender with a, quite a clear proposition. You'd mm. know why you'd use them. Uh, how would you sort of uh, put some walls up just to not overexpose yourself? Because clearly uh, the last thing you want to do is to open the gates and let the water flood in uh, rather than you know have the right deals on your desk.
0: So obviously we have processes in, in house and dealing with risk is what we do, whether that be on an individual deal basis, but also on a loan book basis, you know, we're constantly looking at the balance of our risk. Uh, we're seeing um, lots of deal flow. We're seeing uh, we're reading lots of valuation reports as you can imagine constantly uh, And so we're learning right well these are the areas there where there seem to be issues and these are the areas where there don't uh, And we want to focus on the good areas of course um, And that will that will then create a feedback loop into how we're looking at how aggressively we're going to lend on a certain deal So that you know, is what happens and obviously we have uh, different levels of approval so uh, deals will only come to me if they've got a certain of that of a certain size a certain complexity um, but the very fact their journey through from credit manager through to Matt as head of credit through to myself you know, it's going through several people you know, looking at it and and by the time it gets to me I've got a perspective on all the deals that we're doing not just you know so where a credit manager will have a view on the deals that 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 they're doing you know, I'm looking at it more broadly, um, but look, we're in the business of, of trying to grow our loan book, and as long as the deal stacks up, good property, good borrower, good
1: exit, we'll lend. That's uh, pretty reassuring mm. uh, as a broker, knowing that uh, you've got pretty good protective processes in place, not mm. to uh, not to allow any uh, loans to go out uh, without being looked at properly. You only need to look at some of the uh,
0: lenders just recently who've had a few problems to know the reality of what can happen. And you do know that when risk goes out the window, as we have seen it with certain lenders, and you do question, like, hang on a sec, how are they lending on that? That doesn't seem right at that LTV. We've seen the deal, and that just that seems too punchy. And then a few months later or a year later, there's a casualty. Lender casualty and, the then, and and yes, so You can see your risk and that balance between risk and reward etc. You know, it's totally central to lending
1: Yeah, I like the way you said, you know The 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 sales and the credit team have got a good relationship albeit mm. with a bit of tension mm. Which I also think is quite healthy yeah. uh, because it's one not versus the other they're working in tandem yeah. but obviously looking at things from a different perspective um, so, streamlining the process, as we know, on the regulated market has uh, has allowed a lot of clients to go direct to banks uh, yeah. and the front line, if you like. Where do you see the role of the broker in all of this? Because, you know, commercial lending has got a more specialized tone, generally, mm. uh, and... The advice given from the brokers is also quite important to ensure that you know a the lenders aren't uh, exposed to uh, clients coming in perhaps with, a, with 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 not the right request. Yeah. Um, well, what's your view on sort of the intermediary element of uh, going forward?
0: So, well, I think the intermediary is right at the centre and at, and fundamentally is the lifeblood of our industry. So. Will there be lenders that try and disintermediate the brokers? Yes, I think they will. I think in a land grab or trying to build market share, I think people will try, and they'll try and use technology to do that. Um, But I think that would be a fundamental mistake because, first of all, it bites the hand that feeds. But second of all, and probably more importantly, these are complicated loans, and they need advice. Unless you've got a borrower who is very sophisticated, has done lots of bridging you know, where you could create an argument and say, okay, that person or that group of people, they know what they're doing and they know what bridging is all about. Um, fair enough, they might not need to be advised. But in the, in the main, that isn't the case. And lo- most borrowers are using bridging occasionally and it might be only their first or second time of using it and they need advice. Because it's not a term loan. Exit's very important. And quite frankly, you want them allied with a really good broker who can help that exit materialize for them. Otherwise, what happens is they don't realize how long it's going to take for that exit to materialize and they leave it too late. And then you're into an extension period or something like that. So I think the role of the broker is totally central. And I yeah, I, I, I think there's... Brokers should upskill themselves if they're not already with the complicated nature of uh, bridging or, or how they can utilize bridging in their whole suite of um, uh, Products that they offer. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree with you. I think uh... As they say, you can represent yourself in court, but uh, a lawyer will probably do it better for you. you know? <laughs> so, are you noticing any trends in the commercial market, given the the changes uh, in the retail sector and, mm. and, and demand? I guess uh, from from overseas and so on. Well, retail specifically yeah. is
0: very uh, problematic or patchy. I'd say you know we have seen it where. Rents have come off in the last 12 months, um, and yields have pushed out. So that's been a bit of a double whammy in certain cases. Uh, we've actually, you know, we, we've seen it on one loan in particular I mean, thankfully we're out, but you know, there, there was real compression on values as a result, but a lot has been written about the death of retail the death of the high street. It's probably overstating the case A lot of the businesses that went under went under because they were fundamentally not good businesses And they didn't evolve with the times, but there are plenty of businesses that are doing well on on the high street uh, you know, I think um, uh, Takeaways uh, gyms uh, cafes oh, You know those are okay. They're small, but they're doing actually quite well as a sector, but there are others which are doing you know, not so well. There's a lot been written about the, um, the need to uh, create more experiential spaces in retail space because that's what will pull people in and ally your retail offering to uh, your online offering. 20% of shopping is done online and it's only going one way. So pulling those together, pulling it together with a social media strategy. You know, certain retailers can do quite well if they're nimble they've got to move with the times though and too many haven't um i, I was uh, looking at one one business that was doing really well an interesting stuff called end retail i don't know if you've come across it. no them. i haven't right. actually so they're quite interesting because they um have these what do you call them sort of limited edition trainers right which a lot of the you know, kids are after that like, these Yeezys, and like <laughs> my son even was talking about Yeezys. He's way too young for all that. But anyway, uh, these limited edition, you know, Nike's or or whatever, and they go for big money. And I'm um, sure they do. They, yeah. you know, and and what they're doing is you know, they're buying and selling, they're creating that space. Most of their business is done online, but they've they're growing and expanding. You know, it's quite a bespoke offering. But that's what that's what I'm really saying. That so. I think if you've got something like that, and you're nimble with it, and you, your offering is of the time, then uh, retail is OK. Uh, and that's something that you know, we have to look at when we get retail um, uh, deals that come in. Uh, some we're going to like, and some we'll be a bit more skeptical of. Uh,
1: so it, it depends. I think you've made a very good point there, it's, it's about reinvention, uh, you mm. know, moving with the times is all about reinvention and I think uh, once the high street or retail sector if you like finds its reinventiveness um, through these shared uh, retail spaces mm. or, or, or experiences as you say, uh, I think that could have a bit of a, an effect on, on, on funding at the, the end user. Mm. So, I mean, going forward, we're we're always welcoming new talent into the industry. Mm. Uh, What advice would you give someone who would like to join the financial services, either as a broker or as a lender? Yes. What would you say to your younger self? Okay. Well, different questions. (laughs) 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 uh, Perhaps uh, some advice to the next
0: generation first. Okay. uh, Okay. Next generation. (laughs) Well, thinking brokers to start with, um, my advice would be, Uh, To look at the specialist sector Bridging uh, as one example, but the broader specialist sector developments etc commercial Why because that's where the future is of advice Um, If you lean towards the mainstream then what so you look at a trend within the mainstream sector a lot of um, Deals are uh, on product transfer. So within the same lender and at the moment the banks are paying a proc fee on that but that 's going to fall away they 'll only do that for as long as they feel they have to and I was actually on a panel recently with the um, head of uh, BM solutions uh, head of sales for BM solutions and um, you know he said as much you know it won't last forever you should think you know this was advice to brokers you should think about specializing so if it's already being mooted it won't things are this is the direction of travel and also the prop fees that you get in the specialist sector are much bigger than in the mainstream sector. So I, that would be my advice: go complicated. You and um, especially if you're a new entrant, you know, you're a young broker, you're hungry, uh, you're not stuck in your ways. That would be the thing to do: get in the complicated. Get those complicated. It's harder, but that's good because then you're higher barrier to entry, if you like, and you won't have quite as much competition. Um, from a lender point of view, getting in, um, well, look, don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think you know, wait for five weeks, right, and, and, and see what happens in the election. Uh, that would be the first bit of advice, and then really assess the situation. But one thing is for sure, uh, this is a uh, packed space with lenders, right? It's at the point of saturation. When we launched Octane, people were saying, "Surely it's over saturated," you know, but. But we had a point of difference. I mean, we, re- you know, we launched with no products. No one's ever done that before, and actually even since. And you know, we had a really experienced team, and that's been our focus, experience and that sort of productless lending. Um, so you need something. You can't just go into the market as a me-too lender and say, hello, uh, I'm basically selling you everything that every other lender here is selling you. Brokers don't have time for that there's too many lenders are knocking on their door constantly trying to get time and of the best brokers and uh, Quite frankly, they don't have time for that. They've got their top three to five lenders that they use for different scenarios and unless you can Carve your way into that through some niche. You're just not going to get anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think you made a good point there. The oversaturation of the bridging market is evident. Mm-hmm. I think there was uh, 165 bridging lenders at one point uh, to I satisfy lost, the I lost industry. Count a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But as you say, not not all of them have got a clear message. Uh, not certainly not as clear as Octane. Um, you know, you guys are, are very. Clear with uh, with your communication throughout uh, whether it be on social media uh, Direct mm. uh, or even over the phone. Sometimes it's nice to have a chat with you guys What would you say to your younger self at the beginning of the journey what, with what you know now? I? Would definitely say don't sweat the small
0: Nose or the you know, they seem like yeah. big at the time, but you just keep Pushing um, those declines, those pushbacks, just keep pushing. Um, and that I would say to anybody, you know, because of course, once you receive uh, declines, when I was trying to raise the money, uh, you could easily be disheartened. And I guess there is a bit of the benefit of youth that sort of uh, you'll push on regardless. I think also it's good to start your entrepreneurial journey before you're locked in to big expenses of mortgages and obviously, you know, family, kids and old school obligations, etc. because, um, you yeah, know, the, the risk is so much greater later on in life. So it's easier to start uh, younger. But of course, you don't have the experience. So you have to wait until you've got at least enough experience to then go and launch something.
1: Um, but
0: yeah, I guess that would be my advice.
1: And would you have done anything differently at all?
0: It's a good question. I I don't think I would do anything particularly differently. Uh, We had a great run, I think, you know, in in Dragonfly. I I guess, uh, looking back, could I have sold a bit later? (laughs) (laughs) Hindsight's is always good. So maybe, you know, (laughs) stick it out a bit longer. But as I told you at the beginning, um, you know, I'd had that experience in South Africa where, uh, I'd sold in 2008 thought I'd sold a bit too soon and then you know the world crumbled so you think okay like You know, so, so could you stick it out a little bit longer, but
1: I'm happy with the timing I, You know no complaints there. I think you've done very well as well um, So look on a more jovial note. Tell mm. us something about yourself that not many people know I don't know what people know <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. well, um,
0: it's, a, it's a it's a tricky one. I do you know I surf I didn't know Yeah, Yeah, well, I started surfing um, when I lived in South Africa. But it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start, although there are sharks in the water there. There are, Which is uh, a little bit
1: dodgy. And Cape Town's pretty cold. I was there, and the the waters uh, were very, very cold, because that's the Atlantic coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It is is cold water, but there are bays which are a little bit warmer. But the problem is there's a trade-off there. The warmer water is where the sharks actually are. So you've got to be a little little careful. Uh, But I now uh, will surf. When we go on holiday, uh, I generally try and pick somewhere which, um, not always, but if I can, where I can surf. So uh, we go back to Cape Town a lot. So I do it there. But uh, also, uh, we went to the Maldives uh, last year. And you wouldn't normally associate the Maldives with surfing, actually, because people think of it as just totally flat (laughs) and calm. But just beyond the reef where of the place we were staying, there were great waves. And that's why we chose that place, um, which was uh, great. Apart from when I walked, as I was walking to the place where you, you know, the best uh, spot, um, there were all these boards just stuck in the sand in a in a circle if you like and i was asking oh you know what are these uh, surfboards doing and say like, oh yeah they're some of the world champions uh, surfboards that um got smashed up on the rocks out there and i thought oh, blink. you know like wow. if these are world champions and they've come off and smashed up their boards i
1: better be a bit careful but um yeah i do that's always good to know mm-hmm. uh, i've got to ask this um dragonfly and octane yes quite colorful names yeah how did you come by them he always wanted something uh, in terms of a net na- you know you
0: look at like, what you're looking for in terms of a name something that um, is easily memorable um, and means something uh, so dragonfly that was a whole process of uh, just you know, speed and the wings and the history uh, all of that you know uh, that worked out quite it's a little bit edgy I like that um, and octane similarly edgy and um, it does have an inherent meaning but what we've taken from octane in terms of that sort of raw power if you like and, and uh, The more the thrill-seeking angle so I don't know if you, in our marketing is the wave so actually coming You know a bit inspired bite. from the surfing really <laughs> we're Looking and a lot of our imagery is the big wave surfing. So we look at every wave is different so is every loan comes back to the productless lending. You know, we look at every loan on its own merits, and so it's just trying to tie all of those things. And what's at the core of what we're all about, and can we? represent
1: that in the brand so that you know that's some of the thinking that goes behind trying to pick a brand and it's been uh, it's been illustrated very well in the products that you have uh, provided to okay. the market through both dragonfly and octane and um, finally will there be a fourth gen <laughs> or are we gonna are we gonna hold out the sale for much, so much longer? so bo- then mark's
0: gonna meet you what hashtag fourth gen fourth yeah. gen yeah yeah
1: well look i'm sure there will be a
0: fourth gen eventually things have to evolve um but we're well entrenched in the third gen for the time being, and then maybe Mark can come on and talk about the fourth gen I look in about five it.
1: years' time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Samuels, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much. Thank you.